Do not allow yourself to buy into the lie that if you forsake the assembling of the saints, you will tread out a path of obedience to God. It is not going to happen. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part four of A Prayer to Live By, a study in Ephesians chapter one from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's text is verses 15 through 23, where we find the Apostle Paul's magnificent prayer for the Christians at Ephesus who are, quote, already rich in every spiritual blessing bestowed upon them by God the Father in Jesus Christ. This is a divine miracle because as we read from Dr. Luke's narrative in the book of Acts, chapters 19 and 20, the church of Ephesus had a difficult beginning. Ephesus was the place of the dark arts, the occult. The world-famous temple of Diana was located there, bringing in much wealth for the locals from those coming from all around the known world to worship there. Is Christ higher in authority? Highly exalted above evil, spiritual, and economic forces like those centered there? Let's consider this question as we hear part four of A Prayer to Live By. What Paul says is that there was one man who was highly exalted. He was raised far, far above anybody in this life and in the life to come. He was so highly exalted that in fact his position of prominence is at the right hand of the Father. That's how highly exalted he is. He is at the Father's right hand. All of those spiritual blessings that Paul said are ours in Christ, in the heavenlies, that's where Christ is. And just to make the point plain, this is why Paul goes on and on with this particular thought so much, just so as there is no confusion, he says he is exalted at the Father's right hand, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Remember, the times in Ephesus were those where people were very much wrapped up into occult practices. They had their own understanding of exaltation and foreign deities that the Bible does not speak of. And Paul wants to make plain to the believers in Ephesus that Jesus is far above any of the thoughts that are out there concerning God's. Far above, he says. And these terms, rule, authority, power, dominion, while not being pure synonyms, there is certainly a lot of overlap in their meaning. Rather than pass each one to understand its particular intention, it is better to stand back and simply see Paul's emphasis. He probably has in mind here evil angelic forces, spiritual forces that are not benevolent, but are indeed wicked, and Paul says Christ is far above them all. They're not even close to him. And just in case we would dare to think a thought along the lines of, yeah, that's now, but what about 10,000 years from now? Paul covers his grounds there and says, just so you know, this is true right now. He is above every single name that is named. 
everything that is in God's creation, he is above it all, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. His position of prominence is eternal. It is everlasting. It will never, ever end. And the reason Paul goes to such length to give us such theology is so as to say this power that God worked in the exaltation of his son is the same power. It is not a different power. It is the same power made available to you this very hour in Christ. God wants your obedience. He desires your obedience in the gospel. He sent his son so as to purchase your whole life. And now in response to the salvation you have received, he designs that you would walk a path of obedience to his word. And that design, that desire of his is so great that he has not held back from you this great power. Rather, he has given it to you in its fullest sense so that having access to it, you would step out a path of obedience every single day. The logic of Paul's prayer is that you have this, you just need to know it. Isn't it incredible what a little knowledge can do at times? You need to train yourself to re-establish the belief in your heart every day that God has not left you lacking. We are so fickle in our thoughts. You can be greatly encouraged by all that happens on a Sunday in the fellowship of the saints, in the prayers that are prayed, in the songs that are sung, in the word that is preached. A great encouragement to you. And on Monday morning, you can believe utter lies about yourself. You can go to bed, sleep through the night, wake up, and you can teach yourself lies that are not true. And God wants you to know that which is true concerning you and your salvation. You have this power. He's not going to take it away from you. He doesn't hold back. He generously gives it to you. He does desire your obedience. He has equipped you for it. He needs for you to know it. And so in one sense, again, the Christian life is so wonderfully simple. God does not demand anything spectacular from you, but that you would wake up and preach to yourself afresh. This is who the Bible says that I am. This is who Christ is to me. And this is what God has given to me. And if you would do that consistently, faithfully, day after day after day, you will be astounded at the life that you will live in praise and honor of your Lord Jesus Christ, who God raised from the dead. You will live a remarkable life of faithfulness, not necessarily accomplishing things that draw attention from men, but walking out a straight path of obedience, quietly, humbly, with all grace and meekness, so that God is greatly honored in your life. Now, with all of that said, Paul turns in his line of thinking so as to address specifically where this power is found. He's told us what it looks like. It looks the same as the power that he exercised when he raised his son from the dead and ascended him on high. But where can it be found? 
Verse 22, he put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church. I hope, came to me just this afternoon, I thought, I really hope and I do trust that before I gave the answer to that question, before you see it in the text, just by virtue of our few weeks in Ephesians, you would already be able to respond to the question, where can this power be found? If you've been tracking with Paul's argument thus far, and I said to you this evening, prior to the service beginning, where do you think Paul teaches us that God's power is primarily located, is to be primarily accessed? Where do you avail yourself of God's power primarily? I trust exactly that you would say it has to be the church. That is what Paul is teaching the Ephesians week after week after week. The church is the bride of Christ. And he says to us here, the power that God exercised in raising his son from the dead and ascending him on high is located to be found in the church. In verse 22, he says he put all things under his feet. This is an idiom that would have been readily understood to communicate that God has allowed Christ to exercise authority. It is not simply saying that he is above every other power and dominion, though that is true. But in his position above them, God has also granted him to exercise authority over them. That's what's communicated in verse 22. He put all things under his feet. He now has authority over them. And in that role, Paul says, he gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, the significance of understanding that this power is located within the local community of believers is perhaps best understood when you note Verse 22 there, that phrase, he put all things under his feet, is actually borrowing from Psalm chapter 8. If you have cross-references in your Bible, I would encourage you regularly as you read, whichever text you're reading, just allow your eyes to scan across to those cross-references because they're often a great help in studying the Scriptures. If you have cross-references in your Bible, you might see in verse 22 that it says Psalm chapter 8, and that's because these words are taken directly from that psalm. Now let's just probe that for a few minutes. Psalm chapter 8, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have ordained praise from the mouths of infants so as to still the avenger and the enemy When I consider your glory, the handiwork in your created order, when I look at the sun and the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? You have established him and you have put all things under his feet, says the psalmist. Psalm chapter 8 is a psalm of creation theology. The psalmist there is rehearsing the theological truths in poetic fashion that attend to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It is a poetic commentary on Genesis 1 and 2. 
I see your glory in all of your created works, and I am blown away that you would put man on top of all of them, and that you would put all things under his feet, referencing there in particular Adam, the first man, who was established as the king, the head of the created order. Paul draws on Psalm 8, knowing that Genesis 3 happened, mankind fell, we don't enjoy the glory we once had because sin has entered into the world. Paul draws on Psalm 8, referencing not Adam, but Christ. So Paul is shifting the theology now. Paul draws from Psalm 8, not with Adam in view, but with Jesus Christ in view. And as we will see many more times in this letter to the Ephesians, the point that Paul is making here subtly that he will make again is that just as Adam stood as a head over creation, Jesus Christ stands as head over a new creation. He is the new, the better Adam. He stands over an expression of the new creation. The expression of the new creation is the church. Paul is not asserting that right now that new creation has arrived. He's not saying that. He is saying, though, there is an articulation of new things in the world. There is an expression of what God is doing And it is found squarely in the local church. As you know, later on, in a different epistle, Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Brothers and sisters, we are the first fruits of that new creation. We sit here this evening not belonging to this world. We belong to a different world. Reminded, as I say that, of the wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis who said, if, if our desire in us is of things that this world cannot meet, cannot provide, cannot satisfy, the suggestion would be that we have been created for a different world. That is the hope that the Christian has, the longing that is in our heart that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world speaks of the fact that we belong to another world. In God's design, he has created the church to be the first iteration of new things that are yet to come. So do you see the glory of the local church and do you start to see the significance of his power being located here? It is not a strength that you can compare with other articulations of power in the world. It doesn't even compare. God's strength comes from a different world and is located only here. You will not find this elsewhere. You won't find it if you pursue your Christian faith as a lone ranger individual. You won't even find it if you pursue your Christian faith surrounded by lots of wonderful God-honoring resources that are not the local church. You won't find it there. We praise God for everything that he has given us, equipped us with good books, lots of good media, lots of church conferences, lots of things we could list, but none of them are the local church. When Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, God's inspired word, that he set him as head over all things 
to the church. There are no footnotes. There are no parentheses. That word in the original means church. Paul is teaching us that God's power has been put here and not somewhere else. So wrapping it all together, if God's desire is that you would live an obedient life, found faithful to the commands of Scripture, then you start investing your time, your energy, all that you are in the church. I can give you a hundred reasons this evening why you should come to church. The one that Scripture confronts us with from this text is because that is how you will live an obedient life. That is where you find the strength to live an obedient life. That is where you will be encouraged, exhorted, rebuked, challenged to live an obedient life. And to frame it in the negative, if you choose to forsake the assembling of the saints as some are in the habit of doing, do not think that you are going to live a life that honors the Lord. Do not allow yourself to buy into the lie that if you forsake the assembling of the saints, you will tread out a path of obedience to God. It is not going to happen. I perhaps have shared before, whenever I sit down to counsel with somebody, as they present to me what is the problem, why are we here, why are we meeting together in this way, I'll then, at some point, start to ask about their Bible reading, their prayer life, and their church involvement. Because I can tell an awful lot based on the answers they give to those questions. And I am almost certain if we are here in a counseling scenario, if things aren't going right, things have come off the rails, we are needing to be around this table in a counseling environment, I am almost certain that your church involvement is not what it ought to be. And at a foundational level, the way in which we get you back to a healthy position is to ensure that when the saints Gather, you are present. You are not doing the bare minimum. You are not the last to arrive and the first to leave. You do not avoid meaningful fellowship, but rather you run towards those things. And I say that knowing that God has wired each and every one of us differently. And not all of us get excited by the idea of lots of people in one room together. I know that that, for many of you, is a terrifying thought. And I would just encourage you, pray that God would help you to get beyond that, to understand that more important than your comfort on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening, more important than you feeling like you are in a safe space, is that you would be here in a meaningful way. If you are not wired so as to to run towards lots of people, many of whom perhaps you don't yet know, then make that a point of prayer. God, help me. Pray on your way to church. God, help me to be a blessing to others tonight. Shield me from, from going back into myself. 
I don't want to be that person in this church, but would you strengthen me this evening to run towards fellowship, to run towards the fellowship of the saints, because I know that your word tells me that is how I am going to live an obedient life from Monday through to Saturday, and I really want to do that. Now, a word on what it looks like when you do show up, no one is asking you to do anything spectacular. Church involvement means that you show up, you serve other people, and you worship the Lord Jesus. You show up and you serve other people and you worship the Lord Jesus. You show up with a disposition in your heart that I am here to bless others. You serve other people and you worship the Lord Jesus. And when you do that, you will be availing yourself of a supernatural power that cannot be found outside of the church and equips you to live an obedient life. May that be the way in which we go about our involvement at this church to the praise of God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we are so amazed this evening to consider the reality that the power which is ours in the gospel is the same power that you worked as you raised Christ from the dead and seated him on high. It is not a different power, but the same power comes to us in Christ and the location of that power is the local church. Instruct our hearts concerning these realities. Father, lead our hearts in right thinking about the strength that you have made available to us and the place where it is to be found. And I pray that each and every one of us would be racing towards the local church so as to avail ourselves of this power in order that hour by hour our footsteps would align with the commands of Scripture. We would live out a life of obedience to your commands and we pray this to the praise of your glory. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. In Friday's message, Pastor Paul closed with the truth about Christ's exaltation in verses 20 and 21. Not only is God's Son, Jesus Christ, exalted, He is far above rulers or authorities in the earthly realm. Think on this. How many mortals are able to handle such an exaltation? Zero. Nada. Humans are unable to handle such power without being corrupted. But that doesn't mean we lack power. God wants our obedience to his gospel, and in exchange, he has provided us with power to resist the enemy of our soul, Satan. He has given his believers in Christ life reinvigorating power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead so they can walk in the path of obedience. Believers lack nothing in the gospel. 
If you'd like to hear more about Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel, visit TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org, press Broadcasts for an archive of Pastor Paul's teachings, all free for the listening. If this solid Bible teaching is a great benefit to your walk with Jesus, would you consider making a financial gift to this outreach ministry? You'll be a part of what God is doing to reach thousands of souls with the good news of Jesus. To make your gift of any amount, go to TimelessTruthToday.org and select Donate. Thank you for your consideration. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Join us tomorrow for part five in our series, A Prayer to Live By. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.